The talk you're about to listen to is a presentation of Penn State Crew. To find out more about Penn State Crew or to find more talks, music, and videos, check out PennStateCrew.org. Thank you. Alrighty, so we are going to talk about Noah. We're going to do something a little odd because I promise we will end up at Luke 2 by the end of the night, which is weird. How oh, by the way, can we just real fast, happy birthday, Chris Madeira and Shendell Keller. Real fast. Sorry. Chris, you're sitting right in the middle. So, you know, I see you and then Batman rules. Bat I, don't, I don't know the Batman sign. There you go. No, I liked it. I like it. Um, anyway, yes, happy Thursday. We are here. It's our last crew. I can't believe it. Um, I was thinking of doing a traditional, like, Christmas story, baby Jesus, angels, because it's the last time. It's Christmas. Let's do it. Um, and then my three-year-old inspired me. So you're getting real-life three-year-old inspiration right now for the next 38 minutes and 58 seconds. So hold on. Um, but yes, we will be in Noah. Can I, can you remind me of your name? Daniel, come up here. I need your help with something. Oh, you do have to take care of the dog. No, 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 stay, stay. Oh, yes, they're competent dog. Honestly, you're gonna love this job. You really are. No, no, just come here, you're gonna love it. So, like I said, my three-year-old inspired me, right? So last week, we were um, going to Ollie's. Have you ever been to Ollie's? No. no. I've been just a handful of times. It's like a discount store. Um, there's like two people who work there. So, but it's a lot of free stuff, which is cool. So my son found this book, Noah's Ark. Not bad, huh? Um, and I was starting to read it to him, and I was like, oh, this is horrible. It's a horrible book. Um, I think it's really theologically incorrect, and it drives me a little nuts. But Milo's three, so he only has such a small view of what theology is right now in this three-year-old brain. So I'm trying to, like, make inferences and, like, trying to correct it. But he's catching me a little bit because he can just see how physically uncomfortable I am reading this horrible book to my child. But he wanted it because he likes animals. So, Daniel, this is what we're going to do. You're going to actually hold this mic for me. And I'm going to read a part of this book to you guys. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to, oh, I like that we started early, actually. <laughs> what I want you to do is I just want you to jot down what you think is incorrect in this book, okay? And the person who gets the most answers, I have a Santa Pez for the winner. Do you guys still like Pez? Pez was really cool when I was in college. No? I like Pez. I like Pez. So, uh, get out pen, paper, think about what you used to know, what you do know from your child-rearing days growing up in the church, if you did. Most of you, I believe, do. Dan, you're doing great. Thanks, man. Do you hate the job? No. Not bad. I, I, I appreciate you, man. No, I'm on it. Okay, you guys ready? Dan Coker, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Okay, here we go. You ready? <clears throat> Long, long ago, when the world was still new, God saw that all was not well. Golden sun still warmed the days on earth. Silver moonlight gilded the nights, and the hills, valleys, rivers, and seas were as beautiful as on the day God made them. But the world had changed. The people had become wicked. They fought one another, hurt one another, and made mischief. They had forgotten that God wanted them to be good. In fact, they had forgotten God completely. Seeing this made God so unhappy that he wished he'd never made people. He decided that something must be done. 
As God looked down on the world, his eyes fell upon one man whose name was Noah. Noah was the only man on earth who remembered God. He worked hard every day despite the fact that he was very old. His wife, his three sons, and his sons' wives all worked hard too. They were happy, kind to each other, and good to their neighbors. Even though they received no kindness in return, they lived a good life, the sort of life God had hoped all people would live when he created them. God was pleased when Noah and his God was <clears throat> excuse me. God was pleased with Noah and his family. He decided that they deserved to live on earth and he would protect them. But everyone else had been wicked and they could not be saved. God told Noah about his plan to change the world. The world is full of wickedness, God said. So I'm going to send a great flood to wash it clean. Nearly everyone and everything will be wiped away, apart from you and your family, Noah. The world will begin again, as fresh and good as when it was first created, and you and your family will live there. Noah was very frightened. What must I do? He asked, trembling. You should build an ark, said God. It must be big enough to hold two of every animal in the world, one male and one female, and food for all of them. It must be strong and watertight, because it will be battered by the floodwaters for many days. I will do exactly as you say, said Noah. Noah was glad that he and his family would be saved from the flood, but he was sad about what would happen to the world and all the other people and worried about what God had told him to do. How can I build such an ark? I'm not a shipbuilder, he thought. And how can I collect so many animals? God expects so much of me, and I'm afraid I will fail. But God wouldn't let Noah fail. He was there besides Noah every step of the way, helping him and telling him what to do. Noah and his sons worked hard, chopping, sawing, sanding, and hammering, and gradually the ark took shape. While Noah worked, God spoke to him. It will rain for 40 days and 40 nights, and the land will be covered with water. But you, Noah, will be safe in the ark. As Noah and his sons worked, their neighbors watched from a distance. What are you doing, Noah? They asked, laughing at him. Why do you need a boat when the sea is miles away? Noah heard them laughing, but he took no notice. After many weeks, the ark was finished. It was taller, longer, and stronger than any boat there had ever been. It was slick, smooth, and shiny on the outside, with strong shutters at the windows and heavy locks on the door. The perfect boat for stormy weather. Inside, there were many rooms, some wide enough for the largest pair of elephants to walk side by side, others high enough for the tallest giraffes to stand in without bending their necks. All of a sudden, dark clouds appeared in the sky and thunder rumbled. The people who had been laughing at Noah saw that the weather was changing and started to head for home. Perhaps Noah isn't such a fool after all, said one. There's a storm coming for sure, and he'll be safe and dry inside the ark. Noah began to gather the animals, a male and a female of every creature that hopped, walked, crawled, or flew on earth. There were cats, bats, and rats, monkeys and donkeys, hooting owls and wolves that howled, big baboons and little raccoons, so many animals of all shapes and sizes. Noah and his sons led the animals up the gangplank and into the ark as the rain began to fall. And Tinkerbell came out and they all flew away. No, I'm just kidding. We don't, <laughs> yeah, not bad, huh? I know, no, got to turn your toes. We don't have much time, thought Noah. The sky turned black and the rain fell harder. Noah's wife, his sons, and his sons' wives made sure all the animals were safely on board. Then they went into the ark. With one last glance at the world he loved, Noah went inside, too, and shut the door behind him. Thank you, Daniel.
appreciate you. Alrighty. How? <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Okay. So. <laughs> Alrighty. So, who found three? Raise your hand. Three errors. And let me say that my, I had my husband do this exercise, and our numbers were slightly different, okay? Because there are some things that are strong inferences that, because none of us were there, we don't really know what was happening in the thoughts of these people, Noah specifically, right? Um, but there's some that I think are actually wrong, because I've been reading the text over and over and over and over and over and over again all week, and I'm dumbfounded because I thought some of these things were true, and I'm reading the text, and it's really not in the text at all. So I'm sort of like, what is happening? Okay, so who has uh, three? Raise your hand. Who has four? Raise your hand. Five. Six. Wait, do five again. Jordan, you had six, right? Okay. Dan Coker, come here, please. Make, oh, I will make improvement. Come here. Yeah, bring your list, sir. Let me hear. KU, is that Kentucky? No. Kansas. Colorado. <laughs> you ready for me? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to hold it this time. Okay. Uh, first one, um, God did not wish he never made people. Um, number two, uh, I believe that Noah was not the only man to remember God. Um, number three, the world will not begin fresh because Noah was sinful, so he it won't like have begun the way he created it. Um, God made exact specifications for the ark. Noah was never like, I don't know how to build an ark. God was like, hey, here's how you build an ark. And um, five, it took many years to build, not weeks. Cool. cool. I'm going to give it to you. I know for a fact two out of the five are correct. That one, I don't know. I don't know, but I actually I do believe you on the third. But from the text, this will blow my mind and maybe yours. Those aren't true. What? And we're, I know we're going to read about it. Thank okay. you. Thank you to Dan. Thank you. All righty. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be, um, we're going to start in Genesis 6 tonight. Genesis 6. And then we'll end in Luke 2. I know it sounds odd, but I think it, I hope it's going to be a little fun. A little fun. Um, so yes, like I said, my son Milo really inspired me this week. The Lord really used him um, and challenged me in a lot of ways, which we'll get to hear about later. But um, yeah, this was just, this was interesting. So we're going to read starting in verse 9. I think I have uh, the text. We're jumping around too, so just... If you can, follow along with me, starting in verse 9. So these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. 17, for behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. 
Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Noah did this. He did all that the Lord had commanded him. And then jump with me to 820. Chapter 8, verse 20, 21. Then Noah built an ark to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of him. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. Okay, let's pray. Jesus, thanks for your word. Thanks for using it this week in my life just to illuminate some things and really tear down and help me just understand um, you, the story of why you came to save sinners. Um, I pray that you would just orient our hearts um, around the story tonight, Lord, that your glory would be experienced and seen and lifted up, and that you would just bless us, bless us as we talk about you and think about you and sing praises to you. In your name we pray, amen. Alrighty, so how many of you have the Marco Polo app? Do you guys use Marco Polo? Yes, Zara. Okay, so Zara and I use the Marco Polo app. Um, it's like, Zara, you want to just explain it briefly? What is it? Cool. I'm cool like your uncle. Yeah. <laughs> right. It, they're pretty much all the same. Yeah. Um, so me and my girlfriends from college, we actually met in crew, believe it or not. And we get together every year for a girls weekend. So for those of you who are like super tight with your friends now, it's possible to stay close until you're 30. I don't know after that because I'm not farther than 30, but I am. I made it to 30. Right, Hunter? So I'm here. I have arrived. Um, so one of my friends got on this past week and was like, hey guys, I love ideas for Advent. Out of curiosity, do people do things for Advent with your families? Are you guys, you do things? Awesome. So I, I actually didn't growing up. It was something like going to church every Sunday, hearing about Advent and like preparing your heart, but really other than Sunday, um, four Sundays out of the month, um, that wasn't, that was really the, all the Advent I got. So I didn't really have that much to tell her. So I was doing some research and I found this quote from John Piper. It said, Advent season makes no sense without sin. And I was like, huh, how does that make sense? Because we're celebrating baby Jesus. We're celebrating his coming. He came to save us. Yes, from sin, but I never really think about my sin during Christmas time because, you know, we sing awesome songs. We sing awesome songs, really. I'm trying to think. We eat great food. I love going to church on Christmas Eve, but other than that, I rarely think about my sin during this time. So I found this article that John Piper wrote back in the early 80s that really shook me because, like I said, I was reading this book to my son, and there were things where I was like, did that really happen? So, like... Let me just share you something that really shook me. Um, and it's still sort of, I literally reread Genesis 6 through 9 today because I'm like, why is it in there? Like, I remember Veggie Tales. I remember, like, little kid church being told that his friends laughed at him 
and like tried to discourage Noah from building the ark. Does anyone else remember that? Like his friends were there being like, what are you doing? You're ridiculous. Well, please reread with me Genesis 6 to 9. I mean, not, I'm not going to read it for you now, but later on, can you just double check me? Because there are no friends recorded in Genesis 6 to 9. I feel like I've been lied to my whole childhood because honestly, I had this plan for tonight and I thought it was a great plan and I wrote it all out and then I read the text and I was like, there's no friends. And honestly, the first talk was based upon the friends and how you can get distracted by the world and like all these things. I was going to pitch summer mission and spring break and like all these great things. And then I read the text and there's no friends. And I'm like, oh, there's no friends. I can't teach them about this if there's no friends. So anyway, anyway, I'm just sort of in recovery mode, to be honest with you guys, because not that I feel like everything I learned as a child is a lie, but I was like, what is happening? to me right now. But it's good because I feel like things are breaking down and I'm just rebuilding. So I'm in process. There are no friends. If you find friends, you have to call me, okay? You have to call me. There's no friends. He has no friends. Anyway. Okay. In this article um, that I was reading, Piper draws out three lessons. Okay. Is there? Okay. I just want to make sure. There's all these fun whisperings on your faces and I'm like, you guys are probably talking about something a lot better than maybe what I'm talking about. So I just want to make sure. Is there something? Are people tracking with me right now? Because I, I respond really well when you guys respond to me. Not forcing you to listen to me, but I'm just saying. Okay, are we all present? Am I? Okay, cool. Just want to make sure. Just want to make sure. Uh, so Noah has no friends, first point. No. Okay, my three lessons, okay, from this article really shaped my heart. It helped me reorient myself to really what Christmas is all about, Okay. If Advent season makes no sense without sin, then what in the world, what am I doing here, right? So here are the three lessons. So the human heart is very wicked, okay? We learn this from the story. The human heart's very wicked. God judges unrepentant sinners, and God's purpose remains, okay? So the human heart is very wicked. God judges unrepentant sinners. God's purpose remains. Okay, so the first one, the human heart is very Wicked. Okay, so if you remember in the New Testament, Jesus is addressing the rich young ruler, and he's asking, who is good? And Jesus replies, right, in Luke 18, Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Okay, Psalm 53, which is interesting, fun fact, it actually mirrors Psalm 14, which I didn't know, and I'm still getting curious about that, but they're very, very similar um, this says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. And I was like, so I was, as I was reading the story of Noah, the real story of Noah, it was really making unco- me uncomfortable just how matter-of-fact some of the statements that God says about destroying all mankind. You know, we're going to read in a little bit about God's um, feelings a little bit in six, um, chapter 6, 5, 6, and 7. We'll read that a little bit, but it it really just pressed upon me like, oh, the depravity of my heart, like I don't really understand the fullness of that, right? And you might hear this from a lot of pastors who are parents. Not all pastors have to be parents, but I've heard this specifically a lot. My pastor on Sunday talked about a time when his four-year-old 
was like beating up his older sister, like the four-year-old was beating up his older sister, not the pastor's sister. Anyway, um, and he was just like terrorizing his older sister, and the pastor is responding, and he's realizing like, oh yeah, he has all this stuff in his heart too. And it's funny, because when I think about my sin, can you guess who makes me feel so sinful all the time? Can you guess, Daniel, you're my buddy now, can you guess who makes me feel so sinful? Here, I'll give you a hint. His picture's right up here. Just wait for it. Look, my child. Yeah, my child. His name's Milo. That's Milo. He's three. He went to his first Penn State basketball game on Tuesday night with his dad. Penn State won, by the way, against Maryland. It was epic. Was anyone there? Yeah, I know. It was awesome. Literally, he came home at like 10 o'clock at night, and he's like, Mom, we are Penn State. And I was like, wow, you're so loud. Don't wake up your younger brother. But awesome. Yay. Start him young. So precious. So he's awesome, right? I love his eyes, mostly because they look like mine. And I just love him. I just love him. <laughs> I know it's true. No, my vanity. But it's, I love his eyes. That's my three-year-old, and it's interesting because, like, you realize, for those of you who are dating, can I just, real fast, who's dating in here? I know all the marrieds because I work with them. So there's a handful of people who are dating. How many of you have roommates? Okay. So this happens when you live in close, close proximity with people, you, they get to see your stuff, right? They just, you just see it. If it hasn't happened yet, just live a little bit more closely. I don't know. You'll, you'll see it. When you get married, you really see it. Like, wow. But you're in a covenant relationship with them, so they're really not going anywhere unless God smites them from the earth or takes them away. Um, I'm, ju I'm just saying. But your kids do something really interesting to you. Is they take you to this whole new level of your brokenness, your rage, you're just hatred for humanity. And you don't think it's possible because you look at them. You look. Can you put the cute picture of my son? Thanks, Gabby. Gabby's doing amazing. This is her first night. Can we just say thank you, Gabby? Really. She's doing awesome. And her hair. I love her hair. Anyway. So my child, right, God used, used him, created him, called him into being. I can't believe that he did. It's amazing. And yet God is using him in my life to really just shovel all this self-centeredness out. And you know what my self-centeredness looks like? It looks like a three-year-old who's having a tantrum in my kitchen. Because my child, I know, everyone's like, you look like a three-year-old. I do. Come shadow me for a day and just watch me live life. And just then look at Milo live life, and you're like, wow, you have so many similarities with your toddler. It is true. Apart from the spirit, I am a toddler. It is just, it is the truth of my life, okay? I want things now. Can anyone relate to me? Like, I want it right now. I don't want to have to wait. I don't want to, like, be a little patient. No, no, no. I want things now. Why do they make self-checkout lines? Like, I want things done my way. This even happened at dinner. Oh, Lord, help my husband. He was feeding Silas the wrong way. Is there a wrong way to feed a baby? You just put the spoon in the food, and then you put the food with the spoon in its mouth, right? Anyone can do it, right? I'm right. Anyone can do it. My husband, though, didn't do it my way. 
Oh, man, it was horrible. It was horrible. I have to talk to him about it when we get home, actually, because I was just a sinning wreck. I was a sinning wreck. My husband brings it out of me. My child brings it out of me. It is gross, Tobin, you know. It is just, it is gross. <laughs> kids do it. They just, they're cute. We love them. Babysit my kids. I know, this is a great babysitting pitch. Anyone? We do need babysitters next week, just to let you know. Um, really, they're amazing, but they do. God uses them by his grace is what I'm learning. It's because God loves me so much that he's willing to give me a really cute baby to just show me how ridiculously selfish and self-centered and narcissistic and egotistical I really am. It's gross, Seth. It's disgusting. It's vomitizing. Yet God loves me, so I'm standing here. And he is good. He is good. But that, that is the truth. The human heart is very very, very wicked. Okay, the second, the second lesson. So God judges unrepentant sinners. So look, look at me, because this is, actually, don't look at me. Look at the text. Yeah, don't, don't look at me. Genesis 6, 5 through 7, okay? We're going to relive it. <clears throat> actually, if anyone has water, could I have a swig of your water? Is that weird? I know I'm so hot up here. Thank you, Sam. I don't know why. Can you hold it for me? Yeah. Thanks. I feel like I'm in a boxing match with you right now. I'm not going to lie. We're getting you hydrated again. Thanks, Sam. I know. Okay, this is a little funny. You all right? Uh, yeah, I'm good. Okay. I forgot mine at home. I hate forgetting it at home. Yeah, it drives me nuts. Okay. Ready? Genesis 6, verse 5. So the Lord saw that wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now hop down with me, verse 17. For behold, I'll bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, and which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. So this, this isn't in Milo's childhood book. This isn't in the book. Granted, I didn't finish the story with you, but trust me, he's been making me read it to the end for bedtime, so I know how it ends. And this, this gruesomeness isn't portrayed. And I'm not here to vouch for, like, should all kids know that God totally destroyed all humans at three? Yes or no? I'm not here to take a vote on that. But I am saying it's very interesting. Like, when you just think about this for a moment, if you can, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth. Like, where does that fit, where does that fit in our view of God? See, I, I'm going to press, I want us just to press in just a little bit because here's, here's the danger that I see in my own life, right? Is that I build up a view of God because this is what God is. I grew up in the church, going every Sunday, believing parents. Thank you, Lord. Very gracious to put me in that family. I mean, we have our mess ups, but who doesn't, right? They did the best with it they could. And I get to this place in my life where I think I know, I know the gospel, I know these stories, I've heard them all before, and it's like, 
yeah, I know, because I've heard all these things, right? And someone tells you something that's different, and it bumps up to that theology pillar, and you, res you respond, you react, you get uncomfortable. Let me encourage you, starting today, and I pray for the next 40 plus 50 years that the good Lord, heck, let's pray for 70. Keeps, well, actually, eternity is better. Anyway, let's just pray for as long as the Lord keeps you on this earth, that you would be flexible and humble with what you believe is true, that you keep looking back at God's word, because this is true, okay? We could talk for weeks and months and years about how great and glorious and awesome this book is. We actually could, and we never would get bored of it. And in fact, what do you think we're going to be doing in eternity? <gasps> it's never going to get boring. No, 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 it's not. It's not. It is amazing. Like when Tom was talking about in college what happened to his heart when he was around other Christians being like, what are they talking about? What do they know? I want to know. You just keep going back. You keep going back. You just keep going back, okay? And when you feel like someone, like, either said something that doesn't make sense, or like your view of God, like the fact that, and the Lord regretted that he made man on the earth. It's like, huh, well, the God I believe never feels that way. It's like, well, the God of the Bible at one point in existence actually did. He did regret, he felt regret about making humans. I'm just saying, I don't, to me, I have to, I either have to change my theology or I have to disregard the God of the Bible. You know, I got to pick one. And I'm not really interested in doing the latter. So something has to change, I think. God judges unrepentant sinners. You know, I think I want to just, there's one verse that just really stuck with me. Uh, verse, so 722, okay, in the dialogue, if you're following along in your Bible, I don't have it up, but everything on the dry land and whose nostrils has the breath of life died. I'm like, can you just envision that picture? Like it's all dead. It's a boat with a family and some animals, and it's like, it's just death. It's, that's what it was. And it, it just sort of like, oh, yeah, God means what he means when he says he doesn't like sin. Like, he's, he's not messing around. And he judges unrepentant sinners. I mean, this is, this is a story about that. Now, thankfully, we live on a different storyline, right? Like we, well, not a different storyline, the same storyline, just at a different part in the story, right? Because we know how the story ends, right? We do. It's cause for incredible celebration, which goes to our last lesson. God's purposes remain. They remain the same. God created Adam and Eve. He created them with a purpose and created them on mission to bless, to fill the whole earth to bless it, to be these incredible image bearers. Can I tell you my favorite, my favorite part of my, well, gosh, this is so hard. I've, my staff, everybody on staff's laughing because they're like, Hannah says this all the time. She has a million different favorite things. I know, it's not fair. I need to get a new word. Or everybody just laugh when I say it's my favorite because it really is. So this is my favorite part of the semester, right? It is after Raystown, we come back, everyone's moving in, and you know what we do? Josh Himes know what we do because he organized it really well, I might add, a few years ago. Convocation. 
and everyone, right? You organized it. No, you didn't. Who organized it? It was great. Oh, it was great. Anyway, sorry. It was awesome. And every, all the students are out in their colored shirts. They're walking back from the PJC. And you know what I see? Oh. What did I say? The PJC. They're walking back. I'm just making sure you're listening, you know? I'm just putting these little hints, you know? They're walking back from the BJC. And you know what I'm seeing? I see all these little image bears. They're so and they're awkward, but they're so cute. And you know what? They think they know everything. And they look so confident and strong, just strutting along with their maps behind their three-ring binder and their lanyard. And they have buddies who they just met a few hours. I know everyone's the freshman laughing because they're like, wow, that's me. That's me. And you know, it was me too. It was totally me too as a freshman. I came here thinking I knew everything. I had it all together. I couldn't tell anyone I was petrified because you don't do that. And you just keep face. You just survive. Basically, you just try to survive. All the freshmen are like, yes, you know me. Thank you so much. You just try to survive, right? And then by God's grace, you get involved in a community, get involved in church, and he just saves you. He meets you, and it's good. It's good. College is good. I loved college. I love my time here. But I love it because they're stamped. All of those freshmen walking by me are just stamped with his image. Every single one of you in this room are just stamped. You just have a fingerprint. Who knows where it is, but you have it in your genetic code. You have a genetic code. Oh, it's just going to be so excited. God made you, and he called you with a purpose and a mission. He sent you forth to go and to bless the world. We're agents of blessing. I pray Milo's been going to preschool this year. It's big. It's big. And um, we pray, going every Thursday, drop them off. We, we pray for Mr. Ryan. We pray for Mr. Neal. And we pray that Milo's an agent of blessing to his friends and his teachers. Because he's here not just to receive, but to give, to give a blessing. And God's purpose, he called us in to that purpose. And despite the destruction and the wrath and all the death in this story, his purpose does not change for mankind. Check it out. He makes a covenant with Noah, chapter 8, verses 20 to 21. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. See, God's covenant with Noah was in response to a pure sacrifice. A pure sacrifice. God's wrath was appeased, but we know throughout the course of Scripture and history that there needed to be a final remedy for sin. There needed to be a final remedy for sin. And that's who we get to celebrate for Christmas. That's what Christmas is all about. Jesus coming in at the exact time of history, exact time. He entered, not like a light beam, but he just, he came as a baby. And trust me, when ladies, if by God's grace, one of these days you become a mom, you are going to read this story differently. Honestly, when you're going to sing, what child is this? 
you are going to feel it differently. Okay? You just have to believe me. There's something that happens to a, to a woman carrying a baby. Guys, you just, you're along for the ride here, really. You get to just worship God by the amazing woman your wife is giving. Anyway, not going there. I'm just saying it's amazing. It's amazing, okay? It's amazing. God came as a baby. He came as a baby, and that is who we get to give glory and honor and praise to. It's that scene in Luke 2 when the angels are out in the fields keeping watch over their flocks by night, and the angels of the Lord appear. Does anyone know what they say off the top of their head? Anyone know what the angels are saying? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those who his favor rests. Glory, glory, glory. Now, if you're me, you're getting curious about what does glory mean. Okay, now because I read a John Piper article and because God is awesome, he led me to believe, well, he led me to this John Piper video that we're just going to watch real quick. He answers this question, what is glory? And then I'm going to close us right after this. But just, just be listening. I love his voice too, so just like settle in. Um, but listen to what he has to, has to say about this. What is God's glory? Wow. That's a good question because we talk about it endlessly, don't we? And, and we should know what we're talking about. And yet it's very difficult to define. I'll, I'll make a stab at it. And the reason it's so important is because in the Bible, I, I don't know of any truth um, that is more fundamentally pervasive than God's zeal to be glorified. It's amazing. Which means his zeal for us so to think, so to feel, and so to act as to make him look as glorious as he is. We don't add to his glory. So we want to make God, God's glory shine. We want to make it visible. Uh, let your good deeds, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So the goal of my life should be to, to so live that when people know me well enough, they would say, God is glorious. Not John is glorious. God is glorious, which is probably why God lets us sin as much as he does. But that, that's another question. What is it? I believe the glory of God is the, the going public of his infinite worth. I define the holiness of God as the infinite value of God, the infinite uh, intrinsic worth of God. And when that goes public in creation, the heavens are telling the glory of God and human beings are manifesting his glory because we're created in his image and we're trusting his promises so that we make him look gloriously trustworthy. The public display of the infinite beauty and worth of God is what I mean by glory. And I base that partly on um, Isaiah 6. 
where the seraphim say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his, and you would expect them to say, holiness. And they say, glory. They're saying, they're ascribing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his. And when that goes public in the earth and fills it, you call it glory. So God's glory is the radiance of his holiness, the radiance of his manifold, infinitely worthy, valuable perfections. So Advent season makes no sense without sin because Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Let's give him all the glory this Christmas. I'm going to pray, ask the worship team to come up, and we'll close. Jesus, you are glorious. Thank you so much for illuminating our hearts with your word. Thank you for this time where we get to think and process and just cast our gaze even higher upon you. Would you fill our hearts with your glory? And would you, Lord, just dwell with us, in us, around us this Christmas as we go home, as we be with our families, as we're sent to be a blessing? Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your goodness and your gloriousness. In your name we pray. Amen. The talk you have just listened to is a presentation of Penn State Crew. Crew is a community where the gospel captures hearts, transforms lives, and launches men and women into a lifelong adventure with Jesus Christ. To find out more about Penn State Crew or to find more talks, music, and videos, check out PennStateCrew.org. That's PennStateCRU.org. This talk is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivative Works 3.0 United States license. You are free to copy and distribute this talk to others as long as you do not do it for commercial purposes or alter, transform, or build upon this talk in any way.